Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it and start turning to Matthew 21. If you're thinking this morning, well, Sully, how am I going to focus on you when I've got this beautiful annual report with pictures and numbers? Good news. Today and today only, if you raise your hand, the ushers will trade you a Bible for that annual report. I'm just kidding. Uh, If you need a Bible, the ushers are coming down the aisle. You can flag them down. You can borrow one. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please consider that our gift to you this morning. Uh, Before we jump into this passage, I want to tell you a few things uh, as it relates to this passage. The first thing is that the passage we're about to read is from one of four books in the Bible that give a detailed account of the life of Jesus. The other three are Mark, Luke, and John. And what the four authors were doing to to make these detailed accounts uh, was capturing things that Jesus said, things that he did, events that transpired in his life. So that's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not in a writing club. They didn't gather on a weekly basis and kind of compare stories, compare notes to create these accounts. In fact, they were writing from different places and even in different time periods when they put these accounts down on paper. Uh, And what you'll find if you read all four books is that most of the events in Jesus' life, most of the things that he said will appear in a few of the accounts. However, there are just 11 events, 11 events from Jesus' life that will appear in all four accounts. So think of it this way. In modern terms, what's happening here is if you went home tonight and you turn on the nightly news, and ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, if they're all covering one story, you know something significant happened today. And that's what the Bible is trying to do here. With all four of these guys covering this event, the Bible is saying to us, God is saying to us, hey, there's something significant in this passage, and I want you to not miss it. And so with that, let's take a look and find out what that is. Matthew 21, starting in verse 1, it says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. Well, after reading this passage, I would argue the significant thing that God wants us to know this morning 
is the answer to the question that was posed in verse 10. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? And the reason that I say that is significant is because it's the same question that people are asking today. And the answer to that question is still being sought by those people. Who is Jesus? For the last two years, I've had the opportunity to travel to Paris, France on some mission trips. And when we go to Paris, one of the things we do is go on French college campuses and talk to those French students and ask them, what do they believe? And we do that by asking a series of five questions, one of which is simply, what do you know about Jesus? Stated another way, who is this? And I wonder this morning, if I ran into you on that college campus, what would your answer to that question be? What do you know about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? You know, over the last two years, I've talked to hundreds of college students, and I've had answers that include, he was a prophet. He was a good man, someone I'd model my life after. Wasn't he the guy that said, turn the other cheek? Oh, he was Mary's son. He's the son of God. He's a messenger of God. He was a God. He's a rule enforcer. He's a historical figure. The answers to that question have varied greatly. And my guess is in a room this size, our answers might vary as well. What's significant about this passage of scripture is that it tells us who Jesus is. In fact, Jesus himself is gonna tell us who he is. Look at the passage. In verse two, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I want you to go into this town I want you to grab these two donkeys and I want you to bring them back to me. And then verse three, this is key. This is where he tells us who he is. He says, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. In one statement, Jesus is identifying who he is. The Lord. Jesus is Lord. And though this was just one statement he was making. This is a gigantic claim. What Jesus was saying with this statement is that he has the power, the authority, and the influence on all things. That's what it means to be Lord, to say that I have the power, the authority, and the influence on all things. And if you're going to make a claim like that, you have to back it up. You have to be able to back it up because if you don't, you're one of two other words that start with L. You're either a liar or you're a lunatic. And in fact, throughout history, we've seen men make this claim. Guys like David Koresh and Jim Jones, and they haven't backed it up. And they have found out to be liars and lunatics. But in this passage, Jesus is gonna back up his claim. He's not just gonna say, hey, I'm the Lord. He's gonna show us that he is Lord. And he's going to do that in three ways that I want us to look at this morning. The first way that Jesus shows us he's Lord is in the response of the disciples. It's in the response of the disciples. I mean, think about it. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, I want you to go into a town. I want you to go find these two donkeys, untie them, and bring them back to me. And the disciples don't ask any questions. They just walk off and do what he said. 
If Jesus wasn't Lord, there would have been some questions. Maybe like, do you know the owner of these donkeys? Does the owner expect us to come? Are we going to go to jail if we do this? But that doesn't happen. Look at verse 6. It says, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. And in fact, if you look at Mark and Luke who give an account of this same moment, it's the same thing. The disciples went and did as Jesus said. No questions asked. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the Masters Golf Tournament. It's the tournament that's being played today. Now, if you're not a golf fan, I need to tell you a couple of things about the Masters to add some color to this story. First thing you need to know is that the Masters is the Super Bowl of golf. It is a very prestigious tournament. It is very difficult to get tickets to, much like the Super Bowl. The second thing you need to know is that when you win the Masters, you're given a green jacket, a jacket that will forever signify that you are a Masters champion. And when you have that jacket, you're given access to the Masters forever. You're a member of the Masters. Well, a few years ago, my grandpa's best friend, Charles Cootie, the winner of the 1971 Masters, gave me two tickets to the tournament. And so my brother and I got to go to the Masters together. And one day when we were there, Charles invited us to meet him up near the Augusta National Clubhouse. That's the centerpiece of this tournament. There's a beautiful clubhouse. And so we walked up there around lunchtime and found that it was roped off, lined with security. And the only people behind that rope had credentials. And as we just scanned the audience that was behind that rope, we realized quickly, this is the who's who of the masters. There's guys like Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Nick Faldo, these former master champions having lunch. Not only that, there's celebrities and government officials. Condoleezza Rice was there, and she was Secretary of State at the time. And so Charles, being a master's champion, was beyond this rope, and he came up to us and said hello, and we told him, you know, hey, we'd been following these players this morning, and thank you for the tickets, and thank you for the tickets, and thank you for the tickets. Um, Hoping maybe he'd invite us back one day again. So we prepared to say our goodbyes, and Right before we did, he turned and he said, come with me. And he lifts up the rope. And I looked at my brother and we didn't say a word. We just followed right after him. (laughs) And not only that, the security guards who were standing there next to the rope didn't say a word, just let us right on through. Why? Why did none of us ask questions? Because Charles is a master's champion. He was wearing his green jacket, and so we knew he's a master's champion, and he's got the power, the authority, and the influence to do whatever he wants at the master's. And so we followed without a question. And that's what's happening in this passage. The disciples, when asked to go get the donkey, they don't ask any questions because they knew that Jesus was Lord. They'd seen it with their own eyes. They'd followed Jesus for the last three years and they had watched as with the touch of his hand, he healed diseases. They had seen with their own eyes as Jesus spoke and a raging sea went calm. They had seen with their own eyes as Jesus called into a grave and raised a man from the dead. They knew that Jesus was Lord. And so when he asked them to go get the donkeys, they didn't ask a question. And what's amazing about this 
is that we understand from the disciples' response that Jesus is Lord. This is how we understand. Through their response, we're able to see that Jesus is Lord. And I wonder this morning, when people look at you, do they know that Jesus is Lord? Do they look at the way that you trust and follow and obey his scripture in a way that communicates that he is Lord? As I was looking at the disciples' response this week, it challenged me to say, where are the areas of my life where I need to trust and obey Jesus more so that others, when they look at me, they know without a doubt the guy he's following is Lord. This is the first way that we know Jesus is Lord. It's by the response of the disciples. The second way that we can know Jesus is Lord is by the response of the donkey. If you look back at verse 7, it says, They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Skip down to verse 9. It says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted. Now, my guess is after reading those verses, the donkey doesn't really inspire you to know that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't just jump off the page of saying, Jesus is Lord. But the reason for that is because Matthew uses the word cult to describe the donkey that Jesus rode in on. And this word cult doesn't mean much to us today. But if you go read the account of Luke, it'll help us out and make a difference. In the book of Luke, it describes the donkey as a donkey which had never been ridden before. And so catch what Jesus does. He takes a donkey that has never been ridden and he rides it into a crowd of people that is screaming and shouting, the scripture says. And the donkey just sits there and lets Jesus ride it. That's incredible. If it doesn't jump off the page as incredible, it's probably because you don't have the recent addition to my home life. Uh, In February, Jill and I brought home a puppy. Uh, Let me be a proud papa and introduce you to Georgia. Is she up there? There she is. Yes. Uh, She is not a teddy bear, though she looks like one. Uh, She's a mini golden doodle. She's a lot of fun. But I'm learning as a first-time puppy owner that anything Georgia experiences for the first time causes her to go crazy. The first time we tried to put a leash on her. That was a wild ride. The first time the ice maker dumped ice, we were searching for an hour trying to find out what that sound was. That thunderstorm last weekend, that was a doozy. Near had a heart attack. Anything that happens to Georgia for the first time causes her to go crazy. And here in our passage, Jesus is riding a donkey for the very first time. A donkey who is being ridden for the first time looks like a bull at the Houston Rodeo. It's bucking. It's running away. It's doing everything in its power not to have a human on its back. And mind you, that's a donkey in the middle of a quiet field. In our passage, this donkey is being ridden into a crowd that is shouting, people running, trying to get a sight of Jesus, waving palm branches, going crazy. Jesus takes a donkey that has never been ridden, into a shouting crowd, and the donkey just sits there. It lets Jesus ride it. Why did this happen? Because the donkey knew that Jesus was Lord. In the book of John, he writes of Jesus saying that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made 
that has ever been made. This donkey was looking at Jesus, his creator, and he knew this man spoke me into life and knew without a doubt that Jesus had power, authority, and influence in his life. And so the donkey lets Jesus ride it, doesn't do a thing. And that's the second way that Jesus shows us that he is Lord. It's in the response of the donkey. The third and final way that Jesus shows us he is Lord is in his response to the crowd. Look back at verses 8 and 9. It says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Well, what's going on here? Who are these people and why are they shouting these things? Well, for us to understand, we need to look in the book of John. John gives us some context for who these people are and why they are shouting. It says in John 12 that the next day a great crowd had come to follow for the, or had come for the festival. And they had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so the people gathered in this story were Jews. More specifically, they're Jews who are celebrating the Passover. And the, the Passover was a time, oh, excuse me, let me back up. The festival that John mentioned was the Passover. And the Passover was a season where Jews would remember. They would come to celebrate God rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. And not only that, they're celebrating that God promised to send a rescuer again. God promised to send a permanent rescuer who is going to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of all nations. And so the Jews are keenly aware in this time of Passover that God is going to send a permanent rescuer. And not only that, they find themselves in a similar situation to when they were in slavery to the Egyptians. They're under Roman authority, and they're being oppressed, and so they're looking, and it's a similar moment, and they're hearing that Jesus might be this guy. And so let's continue reading with that rumor in mind in verse 18. It says in John 12, verse 18, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word, and many people, because of the sign he had performed, went out to meet him. So these Jews are in town celebrating Passover. They're thinking that Jesus might be this rescuer. And then it happens. Jesus raises a man from the dead. And the word of this is spreading like wildfire. And in their minds, they're thinking, if this Jesus has the power and the authority and the influence to bring a man back from life, then he must have the power and the authority and the influence to overthrow the Roman government. And so these crowds rush out to meet him. And as the crowds are lining the streets, they began to shout praises. They say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means save please or oh save. These people are lining the streets saying, Jesus, save us. And not only that, they're recognizing, Jesus, you're the rescuer that God promised. You're the Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior that's coming. And so they're screaming these praises to Jesus. And I want you to see very carefully Jesus' response. He accepts those praises. He lets them keep shouting. He doesn't stop it. 
He doesn't pull off to the side of the road, park the donkey and say, hold on guys, we gotta get this straight. That's not me. He accepts their praises. If you're a doctor and someone starts making claims that you have the cure to an illness, if you don't have the cure, you stop those claims. Because if you don't, you're gonna have a line at your door with people wanting you to save them. But if you're a doctor and you do have the cure to that illness, then you're gonna accept those claims and you're gonna start taking patients immediately. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't stop the praises, he accepts the praises. And by accepting those praises, he's saying to the crowd and he's saying to us this morning that I am the Savior. I am Lord. By responding in this way, Jesus is showing us that he is the Lord. But here's the reality. The crowd didn't fully know who Jesus was. And my fear this morning is that we don't either. You see, the crowd was lined up there on the road saying, save us, save us from the Roman Empire. And they didn't understand that there was something far greater and far more powerful that they needed to be saved from. It was their sin. The Bible is clear when it states in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that there's not a perfect person in this room. We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. And the Bible goes on to tell us And the book of Romans, again, it says that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. It says that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, just a few days after Jesus makes this entry into Jerusalem, he's led back out to a cross. And it's on that cross that Jesus gave his life to take the punishment that we deserved. And so that we could have life, eternal life. And we've talked about a lot of responses this morning. We talked about the response of the disciples, the response of the donkey, and the response of Jesus to this crowd. But the response we really need to talk about this morning is your response. What is your response to Jesus? You know, for some of us, The response we need today is to declare that Jesus is Lord. When I was asking those questions at the beginning of the sermon of who is Jesus to you? What do you know about Jesus? There were a lot of phrases, there were a lot of descriptions that came to mind, but Lord wasn't one of them. You've never declared that Jesus is Lord of your life. You've never accepted his free gift of salvation. And if that describes you this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity in just a few minutes when we pray to make that declaration, to say that Jesus is Lord. Now for a lot of you in this room, you say, well, Sully, I've, I've made that declaration. I've said that Jesus is Lord. And the question I wanna ask you this morning is simply, are you showing it? Are you showing it? You know, as I was reflecting on my life this week, and thinking about Jesus being Lord. I was asking myself, is Jesus Lord of all things? That's what he tells us when he's Lord, that he has power and influence and authority on all things. And so I was looking at my life saying, is there anything that I haven't surrendered to Jesus? Are there still things that I have under my control? And I realized there's a list of things, but chief among them was my schedule. 
I am Lord of my schedule. I was thinking about how I spend my time. And most of the time, it's working on my to-do list, doing things for work. It's not doing those disciplines that we've talked about of reading the Bible daily, praying daily. I make time for my things, and I don't make time for Jesus. I was thinking about, do I respond to the Holy Spirit's promptings in my life? Do I make time when I feel the Holy Spirit moving me towards someone, do I make time for them? I was at the driving range the other day, hitting golf balls, taking a few minutes out of my day to do that. And a man walks up to me and starts telling me that he's lost his job. And in that moment, I didn't stop and say, hey, let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. I went right back and started hitting my golf balls. I think about the waitress that comes by my table, and I'm about to pray for my meal. Do I stop and ask her, hey, is there anything in your life that I can pray for? Or instead, do I just rush on to the meal and make sure I eat it while it's hot? I think about my wife at home. When she comes and she says, Michael, can you serve me in this way? And I say, no, babe, I'm too busy working on a sermon. Wait, that was another pastor on staff, excuse me. (laughs) But seriously, when I look at my life, do I say, Jesus is Lord by the way I spend my time, by the way I organize my schedule? And I wonder about you this morning. What are the areas in your life where Jesus is not yet Lord? What about your resources? Are you using your car and your house and your money in such a way that it says Jesus is Lord? Does Jesus have power and authority over those things? If he asks you, hey, I want you to give to my kingdom, are you holding that money back and saying, no, this is my money, I earned it? Or are you saying, no, Jesus, you're Lord of even this, my possessions, my money? Let's get personal. How about your social media account? Are the things that you're posting on social media speaking that Jesus is the leading influence in your life? Or are they things that that promote other lords of your life? What about your political views? Are the views that you subscribe to those that would be marked by Jesus or by a certain political party? What about your words? Are the things you say to your spouse or your kids or at work when you're standing in the break room or around the water cooler, are those words that are influenced by Jesus? Words that speak truth, that speak grace, that speak encouragement? Or are they words that speak lies and hatred and despair? The world is looking for the answer to the question, who is this? They want to know. And the opportunity that we have is to let the world see by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we follow Jesus, that undeniably Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. Well, God, I want to thank you that you put this passage of Scripture in the Bible four times so that we wouldn't miss it. God, you wanted to communicate to us that Jesus is our Savior, that he's our Lord. And God, so you put it in here four times, and I pray this morning that we wouldn't miss it. And God, this morning, I just want to give two groups the opportunity to respond to this. 
The first group is the group that I mentioned a moment ago that's never declared Jesus as Lord. And if that's you, a minute ago when I was asking those questions and and you were thinking of who is Jesus, this didn't come up on your list. You've never declared that Jesus is Lord. You've never surrendered your life to him. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Right where you are, just to sit and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, like the scripture says. In your own words, do that now. And if that's you, if you just did that, I want to invite you to do one of three things. First, I want to invite you to, on your Connect card, you can flip it over and under the Next Steps section, you can mark, I want to be a follower of Christ, or I want Jesus to be Lord. You can mark that down. We'll get in touch with you this week and and talk to you and help you take next steps towards that. Another option would be to come down front. We have prayer partners that will be up here after the service is over to take a moment and come and pray with somebody, talk to them, what does it look like about following Jesus? That's not comfortable. A third way would be just to come out to the point of the atrium. I'll be out there and would love to talk to you. If you're at our Woodlands campus, uh, there'll be people at the Connection Center, Pastor Wayne, who could greet you. But if you made that declaration, welcome to the family of Christ. Excited for the journey that you'll be on. The second group I want to pray for this morning and allow to talk to God is is that group who says, man, there's things in my life that Jesus is not Lord of. Maybe it's your schedule, like me. Maybe it's your money, your words. Maybe something totally different, addiction or something else. What I want you to do right now is just to, to say to God, say to Jesus, here are the things that I'm putting ahead of you. Here are the things that I still have power and authority over. So right now, in the stillness of this move, why don't you just declare in your own words back to him, Jesus, you're Lord, and I surrender these things under your power and your authority and your influence. Do that now. Well, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your help to declare that Jesus is our Lord with our lives. God, there's so many distractions in this world that that get us off track. And so, Lord, would you help refocus us this morning? Help us surrender the things that are difficult. Give us the faith to trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Business Administrator Michael Sullivan, or Sully, as we know and love. And he just delivered a message on Palm Sunday where we looked at who is he? Who is Jesus? And I love how you um, asked the question, um, which you told about the story when you were in France Mm -hmm. and how you were asking people, well, who do you say Jesus is? Mm -hmm. Just like we see in here. And there can be such a wide 
variety. And in this, Jesus tells us he is Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as this marks Holy Week, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, um, it says the crowds, they're coming Mm -hmm. and they're waving. Um, There was a question that came in around the crowds. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start there. okay? Okay. It said, do you think that a lot of the crowd that was present as he was riding in on the colt fell away during his public trial since he was unable to deliver them immediately from the Romans or possibly turned on him? What -hmm. What do we know about that? Well, Scripture didn't give us a head count of, you know, the people that ran out to see him. Uh, But I think there's maybe a few things that would suggest probably so. Number one, I think about his own disciples. Uh, I think about Peter, who Jesus says at their last supper together, not more than a week after this event, he says, hey, you're going to turn away. And so here is Peter, this man who followed Jesus for three years, who does indeed turn away and not follow after him as Jesus is being led to the cross. So if Peter is our frontline indicator of someone who is closely tied to Jesus falling away, I'm guessing this crowd who was somewhat loosely tied to him coming out in this moment, uh, probably you could expect the same. We know that Jesus does get put on trial before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate is going to turn to the crowd and say, okay, I myself am not going to convict this man. I see no wrong uh, in what's going on here from a legal standpoint. And so he turns to this crowd, which is Jewish people, and says, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to release uh, Barabbas or do you want me to uh, release Jesus? And they choose to keep Jesus, release Barabbas, and the rest is on the cross. So that is an indicator to where most of the crowd Yeah. Was. I mean, they were screaming, crucify him, crucify mm-hmm. him. So again, we don't have a head count that tells us, yes, the same 500 people or 1,000 people or whatever it was gathered. But from Peter being a leading example and then just the decision, probably safe to assume it was a similar crowd that was making the call. Okay, so another question that came around was about the disciples as well. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that the disciples' response showed Jesus was Lord, not by asking questions, Uh, but just following. You said the reason they were able to do this was because they had seen miracles Mm -hmm. and Jesus had performed them in front of their own eyes. Um, So how do you suggest in today's day and age seeing Jesus with our own eyes like the disciples did? It's a good question. Um, Well, I think before the miracles, what you see is that they followed Jesus. Um, All the disciples, uh, you know, I think about, again, Peter, who's out fishing in What does Jesus say? Hey, come follow me. And so I think the invitation is still there today. Jesus is alive today. Uh, And I think the invitation for us as disciples is to still follow him today. Now, what does that look like on this side? Well, I think I would say three things. Number one, I think it's reading and studying his scripture. Um, I'm amazed, you know, even this passage this week, I've been in church a long time, uh, you know, from my youngest years. And this passage, there were just things that the Lord was illuminating to me that I had never seen before, things I'd never known before. I mean, even the response of the donkey, just where it says in Luke, that was written for the first time was something I'd never noticed before. So scripture is constantly teaching us uh, through the things that Jesus says, um, through letters from Paul. There's all these things where it's communicating truth. So I think that's the first thing is read scripture, understand Jesus' call on our life. What is his mission? Uh, So read, I think praying. Uh, We've been putting a big emphasis on that with Resolve for More, 
read the Bible daily and pray daily. Again, seeking the Lord, laying requests before Him, and then sitting and listening. Uh, that's been a big thing I've been learning uh, in a small group I'm a part of, is what it looks like to sit and listen and receive from the Lord as opposed to always just talking to talking, God, yeah. uh, but to sit and listen and say, God, what do you want from me? What do you have for me? Uh, so I think reading and praying is huge. I think the second thing is serving. Mm. I'm amazed when I'm out serving, whether it's um, on a mission trip, like the one I mentioned with France, or uh, doing some work for someone else, um, whatever the case may be, when you serve, how you see Jesus in serving other mm -hmm. people. Um, and similar to that is the third thing I would say, which is community. Mm -hmm. I, even from my own marriage, uh, learning things about myself, uh, learning things about Jill, ways I can serve her, uh, in our grow group that we've been attending, you learn things from different people who are at different paces in life, which is really exciting. Some people have been following Jesus for a long time and some who are just started. And the questions that these new believers ask, it really does, it does. It's like, that's a question I need to be asking on a daily basis. So I think those three things, uh, well, I guess four things, reading, praying, serving, and community really go in. Each week at our staff meeting, uh, staff link, we do God sightings before uh, we get into whatever uh, the agenda is for that staff meeting. And I always think about this one guy when I'm there, I'm trying to think, where have I seen God move this week? And there's this one guy, Alex, who every week he comes with a God sighting. And I'm like, what is different about Alex that he's coming with a God sighting every week and it's every other week or once a month for me at best, you know? Well, I look at Alex's life and he's doing these things. Mm -hmm. He's reading, he's praying, he is serving. He's mm -hmm. down with our bridging for he's tomorrow. He's sharing the gospel yes. and testimony all the time. All the time, he's out serving. Uh, he's, whether he is out in front of his house, at the gym working out, this guy is constantly serving. And he's in community. He's in uh, a church. We got to go to his church uh, not long ago. And he and his wife, Christine, are plugged in. And they're growing and they're seeing God move because God's right there in front of them. So I, I think that's the keys. Um, to seeing God on a daily basis. It's still continuing to follow him today. Um, maybe not directly in his physical footsteps, but still being able to follow him today in those ways. That's a good word. Um, and I think all of us could ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus to me right now? Like mm -hmm. you pointed out, there's always ways that we can evaluate our life and say, Jesus, maybe you're not Lord of this area. Sure. And so I think as we move into Holy Week and we just reflect and pray and read his word about what Jesus did for us and who is it, who he is, this is such a good reminder. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Thanks. All right, and thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.